<laughs> so grab your Bibles and turn with me to, to 2 Thessalonians and hold your finger there at uh, First Thessalonians, uh, 2 Thessalonians. Let the kids go ahead and transition there for just a minute. All right. Now we can talk about the kids. All right. So, where's, just kidding. Um, I'm praying about how to kind of start start the, our sermon today. Um, so I'll just, I'll just kind of catch us up a little bit. So we've been in, we're in a series through the book of Acts. Uh, but basically it's, we're talking about the story of the early church. We're talking about the first hundred years of, of Christianity. Well, specifically from the, t- the last 70 years that changed the world from the time that Jesus ascended and went into heaven to the time to about a, we're going to study till like 90 or 100 AD or so um, so we're going to get our history lessons in um, but uh, so we, we've, we've been going through the book of Acts as our kind of outline whenever we get to a book that's written we read and we read it when we're reading the New Testament in chronological order we're studying it and so that we can get context behind it, so we can understand what was going on, because the church went from like a one from Jesus, and then he started picking tw- these twelve disciples, and then more more came, thousands followed him, and then they all wandered away and left, and then like it built up to about 120, and about 120 people followed Jesus until the time of his death and resurrection. And then after he resurrected from the dead, day one, boom, like 5,000 people came to faith in Jesus. And then it just spiraled out of control from there and thousands more upon thousands more. And like, it just kept spreading. You know, churches planting everywhere around the Roman Empire, all the way from, you know, from Judea, all the way up to like Antioch and then spilling over into Galatia area to Ephesus and what's now Turkey over to Greece and took over Greece and then went to Rome and took over Rome, went to Spain and took over Spain, Africa, like, you know, Alexandria and all these different places in North Africa and took over and it just spread and went to India, went to Ethiopia, went up to as far as like, it's, we're coming up to a celebration of St. what? Patrick's Day this month or this coming month. And the gospel went up to the Celts, up, went up to Ireland and England, UK, Germany, and all the European countries, into the Nordic, like, Nordic countries, like Denmark and, and Norway and Sweden and Finland and all those, you know, lens up there. It spread and went crazy. And we're like, how in the world did that happen? How did this, within like a generation, how did the gospel go from one Messiah, one guy preaching about the gospel, the, the hope of God, I had to go from one man to now billions across the world today who know about and, and millions that are following Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. How do we go from that? And so that's, that's what we're studying. That's why we're studying this, this series is to see how did that happen? How did God, how did the gospel of Jesus take root in the world? And how can God do it again? And how can we be a part of it? How can we, as God's people, be a part of enjoying his presence, enjoying the gospel, enjoying life with him and with one another, and seeing God add to our number daily, those who are coming to faith, being baptized, getting new life, and, and seeing more people added to the kingdom of God, 
who will live for all eternity in his presence. That's the hope and the glory of the gospel. That's the glory. That's the glory of our faith. That's what this book is all about. Hope, joy, true love, true humanity. The world as it was supposed to be and how we can live in it today and how it will become that again at the end. How it will be restored to God's full intended desires. So that's why we're talking about this morning, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Now, you probably know several people within the church. I mean, that's, that's great and all. It sounds really awesome. But like, why have we heard maybe the opposite from even preachers, pastors, priests, bishops, popes? How has is, how is it turned from this great, inspiring, hopeful message to you're just a bunch of sinners who can't do better? And the best you'll ever do is to repent enough that maybe God might like you but he's never really going to love you. You're never really going to be free from that sin or be free from that struggle or be free from that trauma because you'll always be a sinner. Oh, you'll be saved by grace. One day the hope will be in your death. It's almost like we preach heaven so much that like life here is going to suck, but it's going to be great up there, but we can really not really do better. (laughs) This This is as good as it's going to get. Coffee around the table, a white table. <laughs> this is as good as going to get us. But that's not the hope of the gospel. But we've heard distortions of the gospel coming out of human mouths. I've misspoken, right? Sometimes it's unintentional. Like it's not on purpose, right? Sometimes. Like even, you know, like last, or it was a couple weeks ago when, when Richard came. Let me just clarify. The story that he told about Jesus and the rocks was not a real story was not true. It was not a biblical. It was an illustration. He was trying to give an illustration. I uh, just wanted to clarify that. <laughs> so uh, it, was a, it was a fun, fun illustration, but I think some people got confused as, the, as to like it was a historical story. It was not a historical story. Um, so some people just misspeak or don't preface it rightly, correct? Or, but then others are like full on, oh yeah, this is, they speak in order to deceive. They use God's name in vain. They wield the authority of Yahweh, of Jesus, in order to preach a distorted, dirty, disgusting, false gospel. It's through these mouths that things like the Crusades happen. The most ungodly, unchristian things in all of human history. I could also argue that no Christian went and fought in the Crusades, but that's another story for another time. It was not the actual church. It was not the Christians going and fighting. Just people in the name of Jesus, you know, going and doing horrific things in the name of a God they don't actually believe in. People have done horrific things as, you know, in a position of power and representing God. Scandals of, you know, pastors or clergy or counselors or whatever taking advantage of people under them and doing horrific things causing trauma causing these things though they wield the name of Jesus but that is not Christ that is not the word that is not the God that we serve the God that we serve says this is the hope this is the joy and, and, and proper shepherds bring people to Christ. 
to show Jesus. The words that they speak are, are, are anointed with, with, you know, they're seasoned with salt. They're, they're beneficial. They build up. They glorify Jesus, even if it's in the, in the, in the terms of corrections. Like, you know, rebuking or correcting someone, it's always go that way. Not a stop it, you dirty sinner. Condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. It's more of a hopeful, look that way. That's hope, that's Jesus, that's glory, that's joy. Those are the voices we need to listen to. Not just the ones that make us feel good. That, that's another thing as well. Not just the voices that make us feel good, but the voices that lead us to Jesus. The voices that lead us back to hope, back and uplift our soul. Those are the voices we listen to. The ones that agree with God. Also not wanting to listen to voices that are just, are, are not understanding. There may be some people with good intentions that are teaching things that are just wrong. <laughs> that are just dumb, right? And that's what we're going to get to in our passage here this morning is that he, Paul is writing this letter to, to a church that's been, either had a guy like, you know, preaching them or, or prophesying to them or writing a letter to them um, that's like deceiving them intentionally or not. We don't know. But, uh, but basically Paul is trying to bring them back to the hope. Bring them back to the glory. Bring them back to the joy. Because they're thinking like they missed it. They're like, Jesus came back and we missed him. Oh no! And Paul's like, no, 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 guys, guys, guys. You're fine. Just ignore that. Just bless his heart. You know, Jesus has not come back yet. And so I'm going to tell you and give you encouragement that you haven't missed it yet. And this is what we're going to look at. This is what we're going to hope for. Um, so, that's what, and I hope that this passage here this morning helps us to grasp these things, help us take steps to, to be able to discern God's voice in our lives, to be able to learn to hear and to recognize not just God's voice, but also those who truly speak in his name. And to understand when we're being hoodwinked, when we're being deceived, when someone may have good intentions, but it's just a little off, right? We want to be invited back to the joy of our faith. And so what, what, wherever you've been in your life, if you've had those people, if you've had even people in your life in the church that have hurt you under the auspice and the authority of Jesus in the name of Jesus, that have treated you or spoken death over you, I hope that this morning we can find some, some healing. Find some restoration in that. So, let's get into our passage here this morning. So, Paul hears from the Thessalonians again. <laughs> so, if you didn't, if also if you didn't get a note sheet, there's some note sheets on the back on the on, on the front table there by the by the offering box there in the back. Uh, so, if you need a note sheet, you can always go grab one as well. So, Paul hears from the Thessalonians again. So, during our passage, so we've been in Acts chapter 18 for a few weeks now. Uh, and so just looking at, uh, at our context here, so uh, looking at verse five, Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia and Macedonia is the region where Thessalonica is located. And so Paul, so Timothy, Silas and Timothy come and report to Paul all these things and like it's good news, they're still walking with Jesus, even though Paul was only there to share the gospel for like two weeks. You know, so they're walking in their faith, they're growing, they're walking by the spirit, they're flourishing, even so much so that they're like a huge encouragement to the whole region. 
like the churches all the way down to Achaia have heard about them, like down to like Athens and Corinth itself, and all the way over to like Berea and and Philippi have heard about their great faith and the love that they have for one another. And they're like, we want some of that. And during our, our sermon about that, we were talking about like, you know, let's shift church. We, that's the, we want to be a church that like people hear about and they're like, I people serving and care for one another, I'm in. They show me Jesus and show me the love of God and, and, I, and speak, the word, speak truthful and trustworthy words of Jesus to me. I want in. That's a good place to be. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, that is a good place to be. And then he writes the, the first letter to the, to, the, to the Thessalonians, to them, like we read last week. And, uh, and then, you know, because Paul is here for like a year and a half, and so he sends word back to them. He, of course, he sends the letter back to them, and, you know, and he gives, they give it to him. And then apparently they misunderstand it a little bit. <laughs> so, and so Silas and Timothy come back to Thessalonica and tell them what's going on. Apparently there's someone there like deceiving them with, you know, that either there's like a letter or a prophecy or a teaching that's contrary to what Paul has taught. Uh, and they're, like I said, they're kind of freaking out that they missed it. <laughs> and so... Uh, even though the letter itself, the first letter, we, like we talked about last week, said he will come with a loud trumpet. It, it, basically, Paul's saying it'll be obvious. You're not going to miss the second coming of Jesus. The, you know, the great and final victorious coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will, we will not miss it. It's not going to be like, did he come? Like, I see all these like sets of clothes on the ground. It's like, you know, like everyone's ever seen the movie Left, like Left Behind? Or like, it like shows like all these clothes like laying everywhere on the plane or in, in cars and things like that. It's not going to be like that, y'all. It's going to be more obvious than that. People, we're not, people are not going to miss it or like, you know, question whether or not it's Jesus. And so Paul writes again, writes to the Thessalonians again. So he hears from them again and then he writes Second Thessalonians. So he writes both letters to the Thessalonians during his time here in Corinth. Um, and like I said, like the enemy is wise to know how to distort the work of God. The, the enemy knows how to operate because he knows that he has no power over the church. Satan knows that he has no power and authority over God's people. Christians, we cannot be possessed and we have authority to say to that demonic spirit, shut up and go away and it'll go away. Because we have the spirit of Yahweh, the great and almighty God who created the world, the universe and everything in them residing within us, residing within the church. But the enemy knows that he has no power over us, but he has power to kind of twist things, to make things look good, hear and sound good, but just a little bit of untruth. Because imagine like, you know, a pilot, he's, he's going to take off, right? Like I, just, I just went to Texas uh, a couple weeks ago, 
and we're flying, and, and we, you know, we take off, and you know, going up, and that's one of my favorite parts, is, is taking off and going southeast. And it's like going up and over the, the, you know, the Gallatin Range, and up and over the Zorkies and Beartooths, and like seeing the Paradise Valley that close, to the, I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Like, that's one of my favorite things, was when, I, when, I'm, when I'm flying. And so we're going to Dallas. Well, the first stop was Salt Lake City, but we're still, you know, still we're going, I'm heading to Dallas, right? But what if he's off? What if the pilot, what if the navigation system is off by one degree? You know where we end up? Tennessee. We're off by one degree. We turn out like hundreds of miles at the end of the road in a different location. So the enemy knows. He doesn't have to stop you. All he has to do is maybe divert your life by like 1%. Divert your attention. Divert your choices. Divert your values. Just off from him a little bit. Just a little bit. That's why Satan in the garden, he wasn't like, you know, oh, you, you should just not, you turn away from God completely. You should like not trust him at all and you should just trust me. All he did was ask a simple question. Oh, did God really say that? Did God really say that this is bad? Did God really? He just, just a little, just kind of pushing our, our faith just a little bit off of God. Because he knows if he, can, if he can do that consistently, where will our faith be going? Will we be going to, to God anymore and his plans for us? Or will he, at the end of the season, have completely turned our lives away from him? That's what he tries to do. The enemy knows and is wise to how to distort the work of God. We must be wise to give clarity and to protect avenues of our faith and, like Paul here, communication. He's like, if I don't, if I don't fix this, this is that 1%, the little bit. So he's like, I've got to go and correct that. We've got to be dead on. We've got to stay the course, stay the trajectory. Keep, our, keep ourselves locked onto Jesus. Keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and the hope of our salvation. The author and the hope of true life, true joy, true humanity. Anything that gets us off of that is trying to lead us away from true humanity, true life, true joy, true flourishing in our lives. So he said, there's confusion. It says in, in uh, we'll get to here in, in uh, chapter two, prophecy or a message or a letter from us, supposedly, you know, from us. Uh, and this is probably, this is probably why this is one of, if not the first letter where Paul indicates, hey, this is my signature. <laughs> I'm writing, he even says like, here, look and see what large letters I'm writing in because he was basically blind. Anyone have a really bad prescription? Like really, really great. You've got like bottle, bottle bottom, you know, bottle bottoms as your, <laughs> as your glasses, right? <laughs> That's my wife. Don't tell her I said that. Um, <clears throat> you're basically blind without your glasses. That's Paul. <laughs> That's why he always has to go with an, uh, with an assistant. And I see he's like, look what large letters I'm writing in. It's me, guys. So he starts signing his letters this way so that whoever's on the other end knows if it has that, it's his. If it's not, nope, not going to receive it. Um, but like I said, 
Christ's coming will be obvious. It'll be loud. It's not, like, like we read in First, in First Thessalonians, it is not going to come as a surprise to the church. Because then we're like, oh, it's going to come like a thief in the night. Well, yeah, to those in the world. But he says, but you are not of the darkness. You are not of the world. So it should take you by surprise like a thief. He says that in First Thessalonians. So we in the church will not be surprised. There will be authentic signs, wonders, and prophetic words. If we stay in step, stay in step with the Holy Spirit, we're going to know when Jesus is coming back. And then we'll see it. We'll experience it. be like, there it is. There's that trumpet. There's that glory. Come on. It could be Yellowstone blowing up, but hey, I'm with it. I'm out. I'm for it. We'll be first in line at the pearly gates. Let's go. But, but here, here's, what it, here's what he continues into this letter as well. In, in 2 Thessalonians, which you'll hear here, here in just a minute, that Christ has not yet come, but take heart. Take heart. He will come. Shift church. Take heart. He's not come yet. But Jesus is coming back. And not only will he come back great, finally, and victorious to restore all things, to throw sin, death, and the grave into the lake of fire and destroy it completely so it'll never be, will never be in in sorrow will never be in hurt trauma suffering ever again but he also promises that today he will be with us he will be with us today through the church through his holy spirit through the word through his presence and one another's presence that's why he says over a hundred times in just the new testament alone one another the church is a very relational one another faith it's not just a me and Jesus. It's a we in Jesus. And a we with Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Grateful I didn't embarrass myself for no reason. All right. <laughs> it's a... <laughs> this might be a little too much of a tangent, but my, my grandfather was a, was a band director for like 40 years or something crazy like that. And sometimes he would take his leaders in the car with him to a meeting or a, or a competition. And they were in the car one time and the girl was like, Mr. Phelps, Mr. Phelps, I've got a wee, I've got a wee so bad. I've got a wee. And, she's, and he's like, no, we gotta we got wait. There's a rest stop appears, you have to wait. She's like, no, Mr. Phelps, Mr. Phelps, I really got a wee, I really got, please pull over so I can wee. He's like, oh, whatever. Pulls it over, pulls over the car and, and she gets out and she goes, wee. Sits and gets back in the car. And he's like, <laughs> So there you go. Um, it's a we and Jesus and a we and Jesus. Life with Christ is supposed to be a party. And even when it's not, there's still joy. So he said, consider great joy when you suffer trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So even in the trials, even in the suffering, even in the, when the crap hits the fan in our lives, consider it pure joy 
because we know that it's not going to just be for that, for, you know, it'll be just for that season. It's not going to be forever. And we know that God will use it. He'll, he can use anything, no matter how small or great in our lives, to cultivate greater, deeper, more authentic faith in him and love for one another and endurance in this life. To when, when the next trial comes up, got this. There was a friend of mine that would, that would uh, anyone ever do the torture um, videos called P90X back in the early 2000s? Was I the only dummy? <laughs> P90X, you did it? Right, we got two, all right. Did you ever do it two days in a row? <laughs> so I had not worked out in <clears throat> a decade. Uh, and I did P90X one day and I was like, couldn't move that evening and then that next morning like to sit down I was like oh, 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 mommy you know it hurts so bad and then he was like he called me up he's like all right come on over I'm like I can barely stand or sit down I'm not gonna work out again are you nuts he's like no get your butt over here I'm like okay I'll pray about it <laughs> I went over there and like just five minutes in, not only did the soreness go away, but I was able to do more and go longer and go harder and stronger just the day after. Oftentimes in our lives, when we go through a suffering, it's raw. It feels raw in the moment and right after. But God says, consider it pure joy. Oh, that this, he's not saying that the situation was good. He's saying that probably sucked. And it's probably going to be something that's going to define your lives for a while. But take joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. To endure the next one. And endure the next one. Because we always know that until the day that we die, we're going to be encountering trials. We're going to be encountering, whether they're greater or smaller than that, that suffering or trial. We know that God is faithful to cultivate our lives with endurance and strength, to be able to give hope, to be able to give joy, to be able to give endurance to other people and, and help them with trauma as well. I talk about, like, a lot of people say when, you know, when they get cancer and then they, they, they struggle through it, they fight through it, and they are in remission, and then God brings someone else in their life that's just got a diagnosis of cancer. They're like, I can use what God developed and cultivated in my life to help someone else and to give them strength, to give them endurance, to give them hope where it feels like there's none in my life. And his letter always also gives the promise of vindication and judgment upon oppressors. This is, in a sense, like this letter seems somewhat revelationist in the way that it describes like people who, who are are in, are persecuting the church, causing suffering within the church, causing causing suffering in our lives that don't repent, that don't care, that don't come, ever come to faith in Jesus. They're just an evil, wicked person that caused you, us, trauma. 
And God says, don't worry. Vindication will come. Judgment will come. It's a fearful thing for those outside of Christ. Whatever difficulties or trials that we endure, Paul is saying we will endure and glorify God at his coming and be glorified by him. See if you can hear that in, in the first chapter here of, of 2 Thessalonians. So grab your Bibles and we're going to read 2 Thessalonians. It's only three, three, three chapters, so it'll actually be shorter than last week <laughs> instead of being five chapters. We're going to read this together and then, wrap, and then wrap, our, wrap up our time here this morning. What's that? Um, if you want to, it's, it's a little longer, but you, know, you can if you'd like to. Second Thessalonians, here's what it says. Paul, Silvanus, who's Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love each of you has for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches, about your perseverance and faith in the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you are suffering. Since it is just for God, it is just for God to repay with affliction those This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed. Because our testimony among you, you uh, was believed. In view of this, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power, power fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or a message or by a letter, supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For the last day will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you about this and you know what currently restrains him so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the, with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. 
The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders serving the lie, and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them strong delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by God, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation through holy living by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught whether by what we said or by what we wrote. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. In addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother or sister who is idle and does not live according to to the tradition received from us. For you yourselves know how you should imitate us. We We were not idle among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and toiled, working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. It is not that we don't have the right to support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. Don't work, don't eat. For we, for we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but busy bodies. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this, in this letter, take note of that person. Don't associate with him so that he may be ashamed. Yet, don't consider him an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand which is an authenticating mark in every letter. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So as a response to that letter, the last last thing on, on on our handouts there is to cultivate a culture of blank. I thought that was going to give you an answer, wasn't it? Didn't you? <laughs> Cultivate a culture of blank. 
having conversations and relationship with them to build up their faith until they got, you know, wrote, you know, rode out of town on the rail. So the question is here, what do you want? What did God put in your heart? What are the desires of your heart that God has given you? What do you value? What are the morals that you were taught? What is it that you desire? But what, here's another question to follow it up and maybe even per, to perceive that. What does God want? What is God's heart for you? What are the godly desires that he has that he has instilled in your heart that you can recognize as God's desires? What is good? What does goodness look like? From a biblical standpoint, from a faith standpoint, from a church standpoint, from your life standpoint, what is good? And what is holy? What is right? You know, the Bible word, you know, righteous simply just means right. And right meaning what does God say is right? In our passage today, did, is, is, is it right to be idle and just hang out and, and let other people provide for you and not work hard? No. It's right to get your butt to work. If you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> what brings flourishing? What brings joy? These are the questions that we are asking ourselves so that we can know what to put in that blank. Cultivate a culture of blank. This is the answer. We put our answer right there to the what does God want? What do we want? What is good? What is holy? What is right? What brings joy? As, as he says, what is worthy of praise? What is pure and honorable? What is it that brings strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow? What is it, to fill in that blank, what is it that truly brings strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow? This is the question that we were talking about with my son this morning, actually. The, which is the, with the, the illustration that they're doing downstairs is that ha they have the yarn and they're going to be putting it into different colors of Kool-Aid and seeing how it dyes the yarn. And that's like our lives. We immerse ourselves when, you ha when we have relationship and fellowship with people. It's like we're immersing our yarn with, in their color. What is the color? What is, what is it that we are, the culture that we are immersing ourselves into that is shaping our character? Who do we spend time with? What are the voices that we allow into our lives through stuff like this? What are the news articles? What are the email, email lists that we're a part of? What do we watch on TV? What are we reading in the newspaper? What are we exposing ourselves to? What are we filling our lives? What are the books that we read? Who are the people that we spend time with? Who are the people that we are believing and saying, I want to cultivate that kind of culture in my life because as you know, I mean, there are several people I know here this morning that if you immerse yourself in people of, that, are a part, that, that are in the throes of addiction, that is going to influence how you live your life. It's going to influence your character. If you hang out with people that joke in, you know, in, in an inappropriate and coarse way or, or people who mock others. If you spend time with people who are always, you know, you know what I'm talking about, the drama queens or kings. I can be one of those two. 
sometimes. Like, people were every... So, there's always something wrong. Oh, I'm always complaining about this. Oh, I'm always down about that. Oh, my gosh, I'm complaining and complaining about it. Oh. Like, life should be... You know, the answer should be like, oh, I'm good. I'm really good. They're like, no, I stub my toe. Oh, it's the worst day ever. No, whatever. Like, it's like they're making up reasons to be dramatic and to be like, woe is me. Feel bad for me, right? We, we, it's a, you know, that's what I'm talking about. It's like, it could be as simple as that or it could be the throes of something, something deeper and worse. But here's the thing. Who we surround ourselves with, what are the voices that we allow into our lives that is shaping and cultivating the character of our lives? Who are you entrusting your character, character development to? Is it brothers and sisters who will lift you up and to point you toward God? Is it relationships and friendships that are uplifting? Do you have that person, do you have that mentor in your life that you're like, I want to be like that. I want my life results and the fruit of my life to be like that. Are you surrounding yourself with good men or good women? Are you pursuing friendships with good and godly men and women? Or are all the voices in your life shaping an evil and wicked character? Who are we entrusting our character development to? Because God's desire for our lives is hope. God's desire for our lives is flourishing. God's desire for our lives is that we would come together and encourage and lift up one another strengthen one another, bear one another's burdens, being there for one another so that there can be endurance produced in our life. So that we can live life according to God's definition of true humanity. Why? Because that's the way in which you can live it the most to the full. Jesus even said, I didn't come, like this, you know, the, steal, the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy your life by showing you all these other perspectives to lead you away from God, to lead you away from flourishing. They sound good, because everyone, of course, everyone in the world believes them, but it's producing garbage. Turn on the news, it's garbage. Everything on the news is garbage. And it's showing you more garbage. And how there's more garbage. But I have come that you may have life and have it more abundant. That word means to the full. The fullness of joy, the fullness of love, the fullness of hope, the fullness of flourishing. That'll be a sermon title one day. The fullness of flourishing. That's God's heart for you. So be reminded that God desires to bring us that strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow.